Please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. As I mentioned last week, we are taking a short break from our regular exposition through the Gospel of Luke, which we have been doing for a couple years. And it's for the purpose of focusing our attention on the sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And of course, the main reason for this special study is because, as I mentioned last week, as of today, we will administer the Lord's Supper as a regular weekly part of our worship service, hence what you see right in front of me here. And we began last Sunday by trying to get a richer understanding of of the sacrament of baptism, why Jesus ordained it for the church, and how it benefits our souls. And today, we continue our study by looking at the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Now, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and we'll be in verses 16 down to verse 21. Let me read this for us. This is what God's Word says. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel, are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offered to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Amen. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we have opened your word and we ask that you would reveal to us the glorious mysteries that you have ordained for us to know through your word and even through this sacrament, the Lord's Supper. Give us eyes to see, the eyes of faith, spiritual eyes, to see and to behold the glory and presence of Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen. The Lord's Supper, which is also called communion, is an ordinance or sacrament instituted by Christ for his church where baptized believers are invited to receive by faith the bread and the cup as a sign of the body and blood of Christ given for them at the cross. And today, following our time in God's Word, we will do just that. And we're going to do this regularly each Sunday from here on out as part of our worship as a gathered church. Now, you might be wondering, just off the bat, how come we're doing it every week? And that's not what all churches do. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe our church uh, in the past years uh, used to do it once a month at least before I got here, which is actually the custom of many good and faithful churches. And so why are we going to do it every week? Well, there's nothing wrong or outright disobedient about doing communion once a month or some other frequency. There's no explicit command in the Bible that says you must do it every week. But at the same time, if you think about it, 
There's no explicit command in the Bible that says to sing every week. It says to sing as part of our worship, but it doesn't prescribe for us the frequency. And yet that's what we do without a second thought. Because all of us have it ingrained in our minds by custom and by practice and by experience that singing is essential to corporate worship. And that's why we do it every week. And it's no doubt wonderful when we do so. So you see, I think the better question that we really need to ask is, is the Lord's Supper an essential aspect of corporate worship? And my aim this morning is to show us in God's word that the answer is, I think, a resounding yes. The Lord's Supper is absolutely vital to our lives as believers and is therefore essential to our worship as a church. Not out of obligation, but because it is such a blessing that we would not want to withhold ourselves from having that blessing. And I think the early church understood this. Because it would appear that in the book of Acts, the early church observed communion on a very regular basis. We see in Acts chapter 2 verse 42 that the nascent growing church immediately after Pentecost had, it says, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread. Now, this isn't just talking about eating together. They got a bunch of Paris baguette and they broke it and they ate it with each other. This is the breaking of bread. This is signaling communion, the Lord's Supper. Even as Paul says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the bread that we break in reference to the Lord's Supper. And then later in Acts chapter 20 verse 7, we see that the church in Troas gathered together on the first day of the week, on a Sunday, to break bread, to partake in communion. And so the biblical pattern of the early church, I think demonstrates to us that the Lord's Supper is at the very least an indispensable part of the church's worship. Again, not because it is some ritualistic presentation that we need to perform to God, but as a sacrament, it is God's gift to us. It is for our blessing and for our joy. Because by it, God communicates His grace to us in a special way. And that's the real matter at hand, you see. We need to grasp the richness of the blessing that communion is. And if we do, we'll find ourselves no longer asking why every week, but rather we'll be asking why not every week. Just like singing. Now, as we dive deeper into the theology of the Lord's Supper today, there are two aspects of how God has intended to bless his people with it. First is a personal benefit, but secondly is a corporate benefit. And for today, we're only going to focus on the first aspect of how God uses this sacrament to bless each individual personally. And Lord willing, we'll look at the corporate aspect next week. Now, I hate to separate the two uh, because let me be clear, communion is not primarily a private worship experience. It's not something that you do by yourself in, in your private devotions. I mean, there are many things you can do and you should do in your private devotions, but communion is not that because it is by nature a corporate blessing, a corporate act of worship meant only within the context of the assembly of God's people, that is, the church. Nevertheless, 
There is indeed immense personal benefit for each and every believer in the church who receives this sacrament by faith. And so we'll get to the corporate dimension next Sunday. Just hold your breath after this Sunday until next Sunday. Don't literally do that. Uh, But think of it as like an intermission Monday through Saturday, and then we'll get resuming right away next Sunday. But today, again, we want to focus on what is God's purpose with the Lord's Supper for each individual soul? What does he intend to accomplish in each of his children through this sacrament? Well, in a general sense, it's the same answer as we've seen in our study of the sacrament of baptism, which is to strengthen the faith of his people by confirming and reaffirming his unchanging promise of gospel grace. That's what the sacraments are for. They are visible signs and seals of the grace of God, communicating his pledge of unchanging faithfulness to us. Again, as I mentioned last week, it is the gospel in 3D by which God engages all of our senses that not only would we hear the gospel, but that we would see it, that we would touch it, that we would taste it, that we would even smell it so that we would internalize the gospel in such a human way. And today we want to examine how the Lord's Supper achieves this in a unique way. What is it about administering this bread and the cup that powerfully conveys the grace of God to us? Well, it might be helpful for us to first think about why the Lord's Supper has often been regulated, or relegated rather, to the realm of unimportance. If, in fact, it's so powerful and precious. You know, I'll be the first to admit that for many years as a Christian, I didn't see what was so wonderful about communion. Just being honest with you. you know, I, I didn't see how it was such a blessing to me. I mean, of course, I was willing to partake in it because that's what Jesus said to do. So I don't want to disobey him. But I'm sure that I'm not the only one here who has had this sense of detachment or honestly feeling a bit disengaged when taking the bread and the cup. And maybe some of you still feel this today. That's okay. That's why we're here to to learn. And so why is it then that so many Christians have a hard time seeing the glory of communion and treasuring it as a beautiful gift from God? I believe it's because we have lost sight of the spiritual effect and phenomenon of the Lord's Supper. You see, the common view today amongst many faithful Christians and faithful churches is that the Lord's Supper is essentially a memorial only. That is, that when we take the bread and the cup, it's serving just as a symbolic reminder of what Jesus has done on the cross. Now, this view arose as a historical pushback against the Roman Catholic view of transubstantiation which is a big fancy word another way of saying that catholics believe that during communion when they administer which they also call eucharist the bread and the wine that they serve literally physically transforms in its elemental substance into the physical body and blood of christ and so no longer is it bread but it physically becomes Jesus' flesh, like a little piece of this. And the wine physically becomes Jesus' blood. 
Now, there are so many things wrong with transubstantiation, which I don't have the time to get into, but the fundamental problem is this. That in the Catholic Mass, when communion is administered, because you now have Jesus' literal flesh and literal blood at the altar, you are re-sacrificing Christ on the cross every time in this ritual. And of course, this is clearly unbiblical because it contradicts Hebrews chapter 9, verses 25 to 26, that Christ did not come to offer himself repeatedly, but he appeared once for all to put away sin by sacrificing himself once for all. But look, this isn't just an abstract theological problem, but it has real practical implications. Because in so doing, the Roman Catholics approach the cross as not the finished work of Jesus to trust in, but as a ritual to replicate and to reproduce over and over again in order to every time re-extract the magical benefits of Jesus' body and blood by re-crucifying him. It's essentially to view Jesus as a relic. And, and, and anybody can receive those benefits just by physically consuming and ingesting that bread and, and the wine because, well, Christ and, and his grace is magically contained inside that wafer and wine. And so look, even if you're unregenerate, even if you're unbelieving, you can eat the magic wafer and drink the elixir to experience the cleansing effects that comes from Jesus' body and blood. It strips it of faith. You know, ironically, even though transubstantiation sounds super spiritual and mystical, it actually cheapens the grace of God as just this carnal, man-made religion. As the Puritan Thomas Watson once said, transubstantiation is a profaning of Christ's body. For if the bread and the sacrament be the real body of Christ, then it may be eaten not only by the wicked, but by reptiles and vermin, which would disparage and cast contempt upon Christ and his ordinance. Thomas Watson is saying, if that's true, then those little rats that come and eat the leftover wafers Apparently, they get their sin cleansed too. Tom and Jerry can be saved too. It's silly. So you see, it was against this error that arose this memorial view of the Lord's Supper, which emphasized, no, transubstantiation is wrong. The Roman Catholic Church is wrong. The Lord's Supper is a symbolic reminder, not some magical talisman that exudes mystical spiritual effects. It's a symbolic reminder only. It's a symbol, not the actual substance that's changing. Now, there's nothing here that we would disagree with, okay? There's nothing wrong that is being said. We affirm actually every word of it. Again, this is a faithful and orthodox view. Many faithful Christians and many faithful churches hold to this and practice it like so. But here's the thing. The problem is that it's not saying enough. Because yes, the Lord's Supper is a reminder of what Jesus has done. He said, do this in remembrance of me. But it's not merely a mental reminder. God's purpose in giving us the Lord's Supper is not simply to jog our memories because we have cognitive issues. There is something more, rather, that is happening than just restating the facts of what Jesus has done. And I think this is why the Lord's Supper has become so dull for us. 
Because we have made it dull. We have made it bland. Again, don't get me wrong. Many faithful believers hold to and practice the memorial view, and it's well-intended. But as with many things in theology, I think we need to be careful of being too reactionary when combating error, because many times we'll unintentionally end up overcompensating and swinging the pendulum to the other extreme. And so in in reacting to the notion of Rome, that, that Christ is physically present and containing the bread in the cup, I fear that faithful Christians have unintentionally swung so far the other way that in the Lord's Supper, it's almost as if we have removed the presence of Christ altogether. And now all we're left with is just this notification, this reminder of factual information that Jesus died. The end. No wonder it's so boring to us. No wonder we're not excited to receive it. Out of a desire to protect the true glory of the sacrament, we have covered up its glory. And I think we need to return to its proper glory as revealed in God's word. Because you see, a close study of scripture shows that whenever the bread and the cup are administered to the gathered church by a minister of the gospel, Christ is in fact present in this room in a unique and powerful way. It's not that Jesus is physically present inside the material bread or the material cup, but Jesus is spiritually present through this visible sacrament to tend to his people in a very peculiar way. His spirit is specially at work to encourage, to strengthen, to nurture all who come to his table by faith. And the clearest passage of scripture that shows us this is here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Pay attention to how Paul speaks of the Lord's Supper. He doesn't talk about it like it's just a mental reminder of what Jesus did. But there's something more going on whenever the bread and the cup are are administered. Notice the word that Paul uses in verse 16. He says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? This is a very important word. It doesn't just mean that we're merely involved in the event as participants and we're going to get a participation trophy out of it. But this word participation can also be translated, as you might see in different Bible translations you have, sharing, fellowship, or communion. That's where the word communion comes from. See, in the Lord's Supper, we are fellowshipping with Jesus, with the risen Christ, in a unique way, sharing a certain special experience with him, which assumes that Christ is present here with us in a unique and special way. And I'll put it like this. Imagine if some of you guys went to hang out together. Uh, you guys went on a trip to Lake Tahoe, let's say. Uh, but I wasn't there. I don't know, because I wasn't invited or something like that. Uh, it's okay, you guys don't have to invite me. You can just go, go have fun. But imagine when you guys came back, you know, I saw you the next Sunday and I heard you guys talking about, man, we had such a great time. Uh, we just, what a wonderful uh, 
fellowship we had. We really just enjoyed each other's company. And what if I heard that and I butt into the conversation and I said, oh, yeah, I had a great time too. Man, I really enjoyed that fellowship. That's awkward. It's like a passive-aggressive way of me saying, gee, I really wish I were invited. Please invite me next time. It's silly. It doesn't make sense. Why? Because I wasn't there. I wasn't present with you. There was no sharing of that experience on my part. And so look, Paul says that in the administering of the bread and the cup, there is a special fellowship with Christ that is happening. And so Christ manifests his spiritual presence in the gathering of his people through the sacrament in order to fellowship with us. Now, now what does that mean exactly? What does that look like? Well, we get a clue from the contrast that Paul brings up in verse 19 regarding pagan sacrifices. Notice what he says. He says, what do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. You see, when the pagans conducted their worship services to their false gods and idols, part of that worship would involve them offering food to those idols. There was a meal involved there too. So there would be this meal in the presence of these idols, which were, of course, demonic beings. But this was no ordinary meal. This was, this was not just having lunch together on any other day. It was truly demonic in nature. It was through these pagan rituals that demonic beings would actually manifest their presence. Not necessarily in this physical, visible way, but in a special, intensified way. Why? Because this offering of food was a posture of the heart of the pagan worshiper saying... I am here to bow down to you. I worship you. Come into me. Influence me. I will do your bidding. Welcome into my soul. And so Paul described this phenomenon of food offered to idols as not just a a cognitive agreement to religiously identify with this idol. No, he, he described it in verse 20 as being participants with demons, fellowshipping with demons, experiencing demonic presence in a mysterious, manifest way, invisible still, but concentrated, powerful. And this was happening all over the Gentile regions in the first century. How do you think demon possession was happening? It was through these kinds of rituals of the opening up of the mind and welcoming these demonic beings into their hearts. Now, I know this sounds a bit spooky. Uh, Halloween came early this year, but the main point here is not about the demons. But rather, Paul is saying, look, if that is what's happening spiritually, if that is what's going on in the spiritual realm, in pagan rituals, where food is offered to idols, how much more is Christ present to fellowship with his people when he offers food to them? By the bread and the cup which he gives. The risen, ascended Christ is really here by his spirit to intensify the experience, not of darkness, 
but of the light of His love and grace for us who earnestly seek to fellowship with Him. And what is that fellowship that is being experienced with Christ in the Lord's Supper? What, what exactly are we fellowshipping over, so to speak? Notice in verse 16, participation in the blood of Christ. And a participation, a fellowship in the body of Christ. Through communion, Christ meets with His people by His Spirit to rejoice in the cross together and to relish together the benefits of His death, to confirm it for us and to seal it to us. Communion is a reminder, but it is more than that. It is the assurance of His finished work. And the Holy Spirit uses this sacrament to strengthen us in the weakness of our faith. How? Because through the Lord's Supper, we are visibly and tangibly reminded of the grace of God in the person of Christ, in His gentle demeanor, in His tenderness as He invites us to His table, in His kindness, in His lowliness, in His sympathy with sin. In our struggles with it. You know, some of you may have had very bad experiences with communion in different churches. Rather than being a blessing to you, it may have been administered in a way where it really served more as an instrument of threat to you. A threat of judgment. You better be faithful to Christ as you take this bread and the cup or else you drink judgment upon yourself. By the way, that's out of context, which we'll get into next week. That's not what... 1 Corinthians 11 is actually saying. Or if you fall into sin and don't repent perfectly, and you can't take communion next week. Or, oh, we as elders, we, we've noticed that you've been coming to service late three times in a row. We've been counting. No, okay, don't come to service late for your sake, okay, for your benefit and blessing. You don't want to miss out on any aspect of the worship service. So make it a point for your sake to come early. But I know that in some churches it goes, we've been keeping count, and you know, just as Peter denied Jesus three times, you've, you've been late three times in a row, and we think you would be wise to let the bread and the cup pass this week. Refrain from taking it until you've really discerned your own heart before the Lord. Now that sounds crazy, but it happens. But do you know what's so destructive about this? That is the anti-gospel. It is a false representation of Christ. It is a false representation of the Lord's Supper. It misrepresents His heart for His people and His intention of the sacrament. Because listen, the Lord's Supper is not a performance review. It is not about us. As we talked about last week, the word sacrament, being a pledge, it is not ultimately our pledge to God, but it is His pledge to us. It is not a reward for the strong, but it is grace for the weak. Why do you think God gave us this sacrament? Because He knows our weaknesses. We don't have to hide it from Him. And in His love, He has given this sacrament to us to help us, to strengthen us in 
our weakness. It is God's appointed means of confirming His grace to us through this outward sign of food. Now, why food? Well, think about what is being depicted in the Lord's Supper. Now, remember, the sacraments, they are visible and tangible signs and seals of the gospel. They are illustrating something, painting a picture, something we can hold, touch, to give us the assurance of His promises. And Thomas Watson, the Puritan I mentioned earlier, he once said this, a sacrament is a visible sermon. The the preaching of the word is a trumpet to proclaim Christ. But the sacrament is a glass to represent Christ. It is a looking glass through which we might see a visual depiction of the grace of Christ. And so, let's look through the glass of the Lord's Supper. What do you see? What do you see in this? You see Jesus feeding the hungry and the weak, not the strong. Jesus nurturing the spiritually malnourished. Now food is not for those who are stuffed full already, but it's for those who are feeble and insufficient and lacking something, deprived of something. And so they take in food to be strengthened again. What we see here is Jesus still inviting us to dine with him even when we haven't been so faithful this past week, even though we've struggled and sometimes given in to sin. It's Jesus lovingly preparing a spiritual meal for us, even when we think, you know, maybe he's angry with me. Maybe he's not so inclined to love me because of what I've done or how I've lived. You see, grace is being communicated to remind us that there is grace greater than all our sin, even in, especially in our lives as believers. We are to live being strengthened and empowered by grace and grace alone. It is the whole gospel. It is the whole Christian life, the grace of God from A to Z, from beginning to end, because Jesus himself is the founder and finisher of our faith. And the food that Jesus gives is the very thing that signifies his death, which has secured the complete forgiveness of sins and the promise that we are loved and accepted by God because of what Jesus has completely finished for us on the cross. This is the means that the Holy Spirit uses to grab hold of us with the grace of Christ and to reaffirm the assurance of his presence that he is still with us on our best days, and even on our worst days. You know, what's arguably most powerful about the Lord's Supper is the gesture of grace and love that is being displayed by God. Right? In this, it is Jesus saying, come, let's eat together. You don't have to offer food to me. I'll bring it to you. Have you fallen in sin? Are you weighed down by your own burdens? Here, child, take this food. Let it strengthen you. I have died for you. I have paid it all for you. So rise again with the strength of understanding that sin has no more dominion over you. Do you feel spiritually dull? Have you been going through a dry season and your heart feels cold? Here, take this warm food for your weak faith. 
warmed in the warmth of divine love. Because even though your heart is often cold, I will hold you fast. My heart will never grow cold towards you. This is the sacramental power of the Lord's Supper. And through this physical ordinance, Christ is spiritually present to minister to his people, especially those who are struggling. And he confirms to us of our union with him, never to be changed. You know, I remember when I was in my teenage years, uh, I fought with my mom a lot. I regret it. I was being a brat. For the kids here, I promise you, uh, you'll regret it someday, even if you think you're right. I thought I was right too. But once you grow and mature, you'll realize um, just the, the preciousness of both of your parents. And actually, if I can just say, as a little aside, uh, to the older folks in our church, the older generation, uh, more than you realize, you're a gift to the church. Did you know that? Because God uses your experience of life to teach the rest of us uh, and, and to really broaden our perspective and humble us. And I think of how many of you have had to carry the burden of seeing uh, your mom and dad grow weaker in their elderly age. And you know, for some of you, eventually passing away. And as you share that burden uh, with the rest of the church in prayer, you know, it's through that that the younger folks like me can better learn the preciousness of life and be reminded to, to love and honor and appreciate our parents while they are still uh, with us. And so for all of our senior folks, I just, I just want you to know that more than you realize, but by virtue of your faithful presence here in God's church, you are blessing the younger generation and being used by God to bear forth spiritual fruit, even greater obedience to the fifth commandment to honor your parents. Well, with that in mind, I, I, I think of with regret how when I was young and still in high school around that age, I would have many moments of butting heads with my mom, even though she's really the warmest and kindest person in the world. And many times things would get so heated and I would storm away in anger and just be at enmity. And my goodness, it was, I don't know, I was an emotional wreck, I guess, teenager that I was. But no matter how many times I fought with her, not a single moment in my life growing up did I ever question that she loved me unconditionally, without strings attached? Why? Because every time I fought with her, no matter how bad it was, no matter how harsh my words were against her, no matter how upset she was at me, when it came to dinner time, she was laboring in the kitchen to prepare for me an excellent meal. Because she didn't want me to go hungry. And I was so bad. Sometimes I caught on out of spite. I would just, to, just to make a point, I'd say, no, I'm not hungry. I'm going to skip dinner. What a big fat lie. I was starving. But when I would do that, she would beg me to eat. Even though I had hurt her. Even though she was upset at me. Because nothing would pain her more than seeing me go hungry. You know, those vivid memories are seared in my mind and heart. And over the years, that continual experience of that instilled in me this unshakable confidence of her unconditional love. No matter how bad my attitude was, no matter how much I thought she was angry at me or vice versa. And beloved, 
if this is how an imperfect earthly mother is like, how much more the perfect heavenly father for his children? How much more Christ toward his bride? How much more our Savior, who has never done us any wrong? But we have done him many wrongs. And yet, he calls us to take the bread and the cup which he has prepared, labor for in the crucible of the cross. And he calls us to receive by faith this meal regularly in remembrance of him, that he would teach us and he would instill in us greater assurance of his unchanging love for us. Look, if you've come today and you feel like you are the worst Christian in the world because of how your week went, you are the one that most needs to receive the Lord's Supper by faith. You are the one that Jesus is most eager to feed, to nourish, and to strengthen anew. The Lord's Supper is a sacrament of healthy spiritual diet and nourishment. And this is why communion is is only for baptized believers. Because baptism is the sign and seal of spiritual birth, that you've been born spiritually. But communion is the ongoing sign and seal of spiritual nourishment, of Christ feeding his own babes, his little spiritual children, who are so weak without him, who need to be held, comforted, reassured, burped and fed. And through this bread and the cup, Jesus himself is personally nurturing each one of us with spiritual food, the promise of the gospel. You see, even though the bread and the cup, ordinary as it is, and even though it is served and administered by by a mere human minister of the gospel and passed around on this ordinary plate, it is spiritually representing so much more. Because the minister is only the human instrument through whom Christ himself is present to tend to his sheep. It's like this. How do you listen to preaching? I mean, physically and visibly from what we can see with the eyes of flesh, we hear the voice of a mere man, right? But by faith, we believe that we are hearing the voice of Christ himself speaking through the mere man by his spirit insofar as that man is faithful to expound the words of scripture. And when the word of God is preached by that man faithful to his word, the Holy Spirit speaks and applies that truth to the hearts of those who hear with the ears of faith. Without faith, if you don't have ears to hear, even the most powerful sermon in the world is meaningless. Even the words of Scripture itself is just text, lifeless text, if you're not receiving them by faith. And so in the same way, the sacrament as a visible sermon is to be received by faith, believing and seeing through spiritual eyes that Christ himself is here in this room, present with us by his Spirit to give to you, to you, to you this bread and this cup through the instrumentality of human hands even through the instrumentality 
of ordinary bread and ordinary cups. You see, Jesus is our true shepherd, our heavenly minister who comes to us by His Spirit to personally feed us and to nourish our souls. And let this encourage some of you. Perhaps some of you find yourself feeling lonely. You feel alone in life for whatever reason. Or you're discouraged. You're anxious. And you just wish, you just wish you could feel God. You wish you could just see Him and be held by Him for a moment and you would be reassured and comforted. The Lord's Supper is the answer to those longings and those prayers. Through these tangible, physical, edible elements, you are to feel the love and comfort of Christ in your hands. You are to taste the meal that He has prepared for you. You are to smell the fragrance of His grace. And you are to be assured of His very near presence presence with you and in you by faith. And let this strengthen you to abide in His love, to walk with Him, and to increase in your daily trust of Him who has never failed you and never will. He is Emmanuel, God with us forever. As I close, let me speak to those of you here who have not yet come to Christ by faith. This sacrament is not for you. Because it is a sign only for those who have already come to Him by faith, baptized in His name, and it is a joy and experience of being loved by Him as His very own. But for you, non-Christian, Jesus tells you now, come to Me so that you may be Mine. And let the Lord's Supper show you and prove to you God does not call you to clean up all your sin in order to be worthy of fellowship with Him. But He calls you to bring all of your sin to Christ, confessing that you are a sinner. And He will take on all your burden because He has taken on and carried the full weight of sin on the cross where He gave His body and poured out His blood for sinners like you and me. And you can return By faith in Him, you can return to a loving fellowship with your God and your Creator and your Father. Come to Christ by faith and receive the gift of God's salvation freely bestowed on all who simply receive what He so graciously and generously gives. Let's pray together. Oh, gracious Lord Jesus, we thank You for loving us and caring for us so richly, so tenderly, even in the insecurities of our weaknesses, even in our stumbling, you welcome us still to your table. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and our cup overflows with the blessing that comes from your blood having been spilled on the cross. Thank you. And as we take now your supper that you have given to us, this ordinary bread and this ordinary cup, we ask that you would bless it as we come before it with thanksgiving and that it would be consecrated for the very special purpose 
of ministering to our souls by your Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.